Hi everybody! Before the episode starts, I just wanted to make you aware that unfortunately, when we recorded this episode, the file I got back from Connor basically had no volume, so I had to go in and adjust that quite a bit, which means the audio on their side sounds a bit funky, definitely not unlistenable, hopefully, and shouldn't be too much of a problem, but if you notice that, apologies, and hopefully next time we should be able to, to correct that so it's not a problem again. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Save Station Radio. Of course, we always record this podcast in normal every town USA. Nondescript, don't worry about it. I am your host Dustin, and with me is Cotter. Hello there. And of course, we are recording in a nondescript town, every town USA location, because we are talking about The Evil Within 2. Once again, developed by Tango Gameworks and published by Bethesda. Uh, It was released on October 13th, 2017, pretty much everywhere except for Japan for some reason, where it was released on October 19th that same year. I wonder what the discrepancy there was. Yeah, it's it's weird because this was originally a a Japanese-led studio, yeah? I mean, it was and still is. So, like, it's it's very... that's an interesting one. Of course, this is a sequel to the prior game, uh, which we talked about in our last episode. Um, it is once again a survival horror action game. This time we are once again following uh, our protagonist, Sebastian Castellanos, on his horror-filled adventures. We, we didn't. There's not too much to talk about with this game, or at least on the surface, development-wise. The only thing that is interesting of note, Mokami stepped down uh, from the directorial role this time around, and instead this was directed by John Johannes, um, who directed the first game's DLC. I think if you listen to our last episode, you know we, we liked that DLC quite a bit, right? So that makes sense. Gotta get a promotion there. So this is your first time with these games, yeah? So you don't have any personal history with this one still, like last time around? Yeah, uh, I think I said in the last one, but the only experience I had with these games was you wanted to loan me this game when I first got my PS4. Uh, and I did not take you up on that offer at that time. But honestly, I... I think this might have been a better way to go about it, is playing the first game first. What's your history with this game, though? Uh, I picked this one up at launch. I was excited for this. I had played the first game in anticipation of it, and even though I thought that first game was okay, I I had, at this point, really fallen in love with like Resident Evil 4 and stuff like that, so you know, this was after The Last of Us and all that stuff, so I was ready for this game. And... And so, I, yeah, I don't really have anything else to say about it, except I was excited and I picked it up at launch. One of the few. <laughs> this game, if memory recalls, did not sell very well, unfortunately. <laughs> so. I mean, to be fair, this came out in uh, 2017, which was a jam-packed year for games. It did. Um, that was the year where Bethesda sent... I, I feel like they sent this out to die as well as Wolfenstein 2, which is a shame. Yeah, because uh, October would have been... Uh, that would have been right around the time that uh, Mario Odyssey, I think, came out there around that time, which is a very different demographic. But yeah, I mean, you had Assassin's Creed Origins and 
you know, like 2017 was a good year. Lots of stuff. I, I think Wolfenstein was the same month. So, like, I don't know what Bethesda was thinking, but whatever. It was also Resident Evil 7 had come out early in the year. Um, so, it was, it was quite a packed and crowded there. Since this is your first time playing the series and this game in particular, why don't you give me a quick overview of your thoughts on The Evil Within 2? Uh, yeah, this is a... Uh, as someone who's not super into the survival horror genre, mainly just because I haven't played a lot of them, uh, and as someone who has never played a Resident Evil game, uh, this one was a lot of fun. Like, uh, we played the first one before this, and like you, I thought the first game was all right. Um, this one does so much to improve on that foundation and take in some design cues from other games that I feel like this game really excels at not only just being a sequel, but like expanding upon and really nailing like the sense of combat and the sense of flow that the first game strived to have. Yeah, I had a, I had a good time playing this. Of course, I found the story to be like, way more engaging than the first game as well the mechanics there's like one thing that i think the first game did a little bit better but overall everything else is vastly improved so yeah i was really i was really impressed with this game just based off of what the first game was um and there's it still keeps with that like level of horror creativity that the first game had um, it doesn't do quite as much with it, but it does enough to make it really stand out and make it visually very interesting. And I feel like the setting and the story really gave them a lot of leeway to do whatever. So uh, this one was a pleasant surprise, honestly. So as for my thoughts, um, you know how all this podcast we're known for our hot takes? Yeah, what's what's your hot take for this hot one? Hot take central over here. The hot take for this episode is, I think the evil within 2 is... At the very least, the PS4 and Xbox One generation, the best survival horror game to come out. Oh, that, that is time. a spicy take. That is my take. Uh, it, I guess that depends on where you count The Last of Us, I suppose. Um, if you don't count that, I think this is this is top tier. Um, I like this better than I like Resident Evil 7 and Resident Evil 8, and I love those games. I think this is a phenomenal experience. The combat is great, like you mentioned before. I think they've done so much improvements to make it fun, and you're right, the flow is so much better here. Stealth is greatly improved. Bosses are still super cool. And yeah, the narrative is super engaging. It's interesting. It's fascinating to watch. It uh, It's interesting because like, a lot of these games that we compare it to, the Resident Evils and such, they kind of go a more goofy route. And this game definitely has some goofy stuff in it. This game kind of takes itself seriously, and it works. Like... I cared a lot about what was happening in the narrative, which is way more than I can say for the first game. So I have to, you know, have to give them that. Like, I, I think the narrative here is fascinating and, again, better than any Resident Evil. <laughs> yeah, I just, I think this is this is an engaging game all the way through. I think it has a lot of innovative things for the genre as well, which I, I think it's sadly under-recognized as. But, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of this game. Yeah, I think... Um... It's definitely something that 
uh, I have a little bit of like mixed feelings about because I feel like there's something that just in the atmosphere that didn't quite land as well as the first game did. Maybe it's just like the amount of lush environments that really steals some of the horror from it. But that is a like very minor nitpick to what is otherwise a very, very well put together game. I think despite, you know, having lush environments, which you don't see often in horror games, like it still nails it. The enemy designs are really grotesque and genuinely creepy. It makes you it's very satisfying to pull off stealth kills and headshots and stuff. Uh, all the bosses are fantastic. Still can't say a whole lot for the music, but, you know, it's not one that needs very in your face themes and it gets by with a lot of atmosphere. But yeah, this is on all accounts a vast improvement. Let's talk about that sort of bigger the more obvious thing here, which is this game introduces some like semi open world elements. Certain chapters will put you in larger environments with kind of lots of areas to go poke around in and to go salvage for supplies and, and find ammo and things like that. Uh, the thing I really like about that though, and the thing that I think is a nice hook for this game is these are open world technically, but they're very small and they're very compact. So it kind of gives this feeling of like, you're in a very small area, but it's very dense with things to go find and do. And I think I love that for this horror game setting because it kind of creates the sense of when you stumble upon a side quest or whatever that throws you into a horror situation, you kind of get this vibe that like, oh, you could have missed that. You could have not gotten yourself into the situation and avoided it. And I think that that adds a lot to the general tension of it and just kind of the the uniqueness of it like if you don't go poking around like in that first neighborhood area uh, you might not find like for example there's a whole side thing um where you'll run into a ghost and there's more to that but we'll just talk about like you run into a ghost right but that's something you don't have to see at all and that ghost introduces some elements into the open world itself and like you can completely avoid that um, if you're not poking around. And I think it rewards you poking around, but also introducing horror elements. So I guess depending on who you are, that might not be a reward, but I, I, I really like that. On a gameplay like sense, it also rewards you because, and it incentivizes you to go poking around because it gives you valuable resources. Uh, once again, the crafting for certain ammo types is there, but now that applies to all of your guns rather than just the crossbow. So you're going to want to poke around to find whatever gunpowder, stray parts for your crossbow bolts, um, even just herbs to craft some healing items. Like a lot of that is just integrated with this broad level design rather than just kind of given to you throughout a linear design. So it's a very different mentality that they tackled here. And you're right, it does incentivize the player to go explore and then when they design the level that you're going to be exploring, they put in a lot of just little things that you can stumble upon, discover, have happened to you. Um, or since this game's checkpointing is pretty forgiving, like you can go in, stumble on like a bunch of guys and then be like, and then die to them and then checkpoint back to before that and decide, okay, maybe I'm going to take a different route or I'm just going to go find some more items and then come back when I have more ammo to deal with them. It's very liberating, but also very rewarding to explore. Yeah, totally. It, you know, it's not strictly open world, these open world settings. Like it will throw you into linear levels too. In fact, I'd say most of the game is linear levels still. It's just every once in a while 
you get that more open-ended stuff. So it kind of provides you with both gameplay styles, which I think is really nice. I think it, it, it just adds that sense of flow and like, there's a weird, like, you ever feel this with like horror games? I kind of get this with The Last of Us 1 a little bit, but like, there's a weird sense of like coziness, <laughs> even though it's like a, like a grim ass environment. I don't know, there's a weird sense of that in the open world because you can kind of clear it out, which can create safe spaces, which for a horror game is, is really nice. One of my big complaints with the original, you know, with the, the first game, which we talked about in the podcast last time, is I think that game's pacing is at an 11 all the time, and that's unfortunate. Um, I think it makes that game kind of hard to get through. This game has solved that problem with the open world elements, in my opinion, where, like, it does allow you to create safe spaces by taking out enemies or by finding safe houses where you are safe. And and I, th I think that really helps with the pacing and making this game, you know, the overall flow, not just in combat, but as, as a video game as a whole, as an experience, it, it makes it quite nice. <laughs> and like, yeah, I really like exploring these environments because they are very much like every town USA, which is like, there's a weird coziness to that, which is strange. I know that's weird, but, <laughs> but it's true. See, I want to talk about this pacing too because even in the linear level design stages i feel like the pacing is just better there as well where it's not just encounter after encounter and then they throw like maybe a couple ammo packs your way in between there are times where you just go into an area and then you can poke around different like furniture and stuff looking for items which in some games is super boring in this game it's actually like engaging because you want to it gives you kind of a space you feel like you could miss some if you didn't spend the time to explore it but also it gives you a little bit of a break from the encounters where you know like if you continue to press this way there's going to be more enemies so maybe you want to stock up and craft some things or just kind of take stock of your resources so even just the linear level design it gives you those breaks it gives you those moments of action but it spreads them out a little bit better absolutely I, I definitely think like that intensity level being lowered is is incredibly nice <laughs> and definitely helps um you know i talked about last time around having to like stop the game every chapter or so just because like it was tiring last time around this time like i couldn't put this game down and it's my second playthrough of it right like i i adored playing it again and, and the pacing has a lot to do with that yeah even down to just like the chapters there are chapters just like the first game but they just seamlessly transition into each other rather than having an abrupt like chapter clear screen. So it can be very easy to just get lost and blow through large ch chunks of the game in a single sitting. I know I definitely did that at some point. Yeah, absolutely. It, it kind of has its cake and it eats it too with the open world stuff where like it doesn't bloat these open world areas, right? But it, it also, you know, it has a upgrade systems. It has... You know, our upgrade goo is back from the last game, but it has weapon upgrading stuff like the last game did, but that's separate now, so there's, like, two different materials you need. Um, but it has this really nice loop of, like, you'll go out, you'll be, you know, doing your objective, but you're also picking up upgrades, and, like, you're getting them at a consistent pace that feels satisfying. And unlike the first game, I don't think, you know, I, I think they start you off on a good foot in terms of, like, the first game I felt like they intentionally made you super weak, so you would be forced to use the upgrade system. Here, I mean, you're weak, but it's, it doesn't feel like you're helpless, which is really nice. 
Um, and it, it makes that upgrade system feel like a more fun thing to use rather than something you have to. And I think that balance is, is really good. Yeah, for sure. At no point did I feel like a situation was just impossible. I mean, there's a couple of enemies that if you run out of ammo, then that's about it. Like, there's not much you can do. Um, there is still technically a way you could kill them, but it's so ridiculous that it would be a pain to do. But that's also optional. Like, there's a couple enemies where I just didn't have enough ammo to deal with them, so I just snuck around and continued with my objective. Like, having the ability to do that while also, you know, empowering the player with an upgrade system and some pretty powerful weapons as you go, like, um, that's not an easy balancing act to pull off, but I think they really did it here. Yeah, totally agree there. You mentioned sort of the chapter transitions and how smooth those are this time around. Unlike the first game where it would kind of just throw you into a menu and be like, do you want to save your game now? And it's going to load the next one. And it felt very segmented in kind of an awkward way. Here around, you know, these these feel much more, I, I, you know, honestly, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but this game feels a lot more like Naughty Dog-esque in terms of like, they, like you're, like you will see loading screens every once in a while, but barely. I think they try to do their best to mitigate that stuff. And it does help the flow a lot. And the overall presentation is so much better this time around, especially on console. Uh, last time I talked about sort of the frame rate and the resolution of the last game. This game looks like it is two generations ahead of that game, which is kind of wild technology-wise. Like, you know, this is a 2017 game. We're playing it in 2021. And honestly, it looks pretty modern still. Oh, yeah. I, I played this impressive. on PC just like I did the last one. And... Uh, the frame rate, obviously I didn't have the frame rate issues with the first game, but that's because I was playing it on PC. But jumping into this one, it is night and day. Like this game just immediately shows off what this engine is capable of and like how much better it looks over the first game. I mean, I guess you could be technical and say that this is a generation ahead, but it's also on the same generation as the last game. But yeah, no, it definitely feels even to this day like you know, five years after it came out or whatever, not five, four years, it's, it still looks like it could have come out last year. Like it's really impressive. And, and talking about this presentation stuff, like I think cutscenes are so much better framed. Um, one of the things that I think is kind of shocking at first, because if you played these games back to back, we, we talked about last time around how the acting wasn't super great in the last game here. They seem to have replaced all the voice actors for the returning characters and it is a bit jarring but in the end i'm really happy they did it <laughs> because i i think our, our actors this time around do a really good job yeah it's i mean but it's still not like it's not trying to be like this oscar worthy performance level like there's no, still some goofiness to it and there's still some you know charm and it being what it is but you're right. The the performances, especially in the more serious scenes, uh, they really convey it really well. Yeah, it's it's the thing is like these actors are able to do, um, you know, the the slightly over the top stuff, but also the very serious stuff, and and it's done very well. I think coupled with that is just the overall better written and better like segmented story because last time, I mean, 
we had a handful of characters that I could never remember the names of. And then we had the main character who I did remember the name of, but did not care about. <laughs> um, here, it's the same character, but I care a lot more about Sebastian Castellanos in this game than I ever did in any at any point in the first game, simply because he responds more like he actually reacts to it. He has more personality, interacts with people in a more believable way. Like it's just way better written overall. Well, he's a character. Like you say, <laughs> he has more personality. I would argue he just has personality this time around. Like, I don't think he had personality last time, but I think that that's, that's the biggest change here is I think they realized they needed to, to make you empathize in some way to make you care. And I, I think they've done that here. And, and I think that's kind of, it's across the board. Um, you know, I did like the villains in the first game, so it wasn't bad. It wasn't all bad. Um, but even here, like the villains in this game, I think are great. They're fantastic. Yeah. Well, and the other returning character is uh, Kidman from the DLC and from the main game. And even she's way like more expressive and dynamic and she was the most expressive and dynamic character in the first game specifically the dlc you know i, I even think through the um the sort of like written collectibles you can find that you know pretty much every game has but like the notes and stuff you can find like even there it's a step above like actually many steps above the first game and, and i found that stuff interesting to to hunt down and to look at and i I cared about learning what the story was about in and out um, without going too in depth. You know, last time around, we talked about how like the general world and what they were going for in the first game is really cool. They just didn't capitalize on it in a way that was satisfying or, or interesting this time around. I think they do. And in all aspects, I think it makes it a, a fascinating world to explore and to uncover Um you know, it's it's fun. It's fun meeting these characters. There are more characters this time around, like a lot of them, that you get to talk to and get to know. And it, it, it makes this world feel so much more alive and believable than the first game ever did. I mostly agree with that, um, specifically on the characters. I feel like the characters are a lot of fun to interact with, and I ended up caring a lot about the side characters as well. Um, but the backstory, I feel like, doesn't quite have as much like mystery that the first one had, which to some might be a good thing because the first game had too much mystery by just not telling you hardly anything. Um, but there's something about this where it feels very like explained that I can't help but feel it's a little weaker. Uh, I don't know how you would change that without sacrificing the story. It's a it's a nitpick at best, but. I don't know, there's something about it, specifically in the first game with like Ruvik's backstory um, and then some of the mysterious side characters that show up and then learning more about them. Uh, and even in the DLC, when you're learning about Mobius for the first time, that is kind of already explained. And then they build off of that. They build off of that here, but it's not like discovering it for the first time, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I do think like if we're taking these stories and just talking about those, I think these games are kind of the inverse of one another in the sense that the first game had interesting lore and backstory, but not an interesting main plot. And this game has a really good main plot, but the lore and backstory uh, suffer a little bit. I wouldn't say they're bad at all, um, personally. 
And I think if you played this game first, then it would be super interesting because there's a lot of stuff that you wouldn't know about. But when you play this second, then it's stuff that you have learned about already. Um, so it's kind of already taken care of. Yeah, which to be fair, that that's kind of an unsolvable problem, right? Like, yeah, no, and it's a, it's a nitpick for sure. Like you said, the first game did all of that work, but then didn't have a good main plot. Whereas this one focuses on having a good main plot, but they didn't add new backstory stuff and they just relied on it being taken care of. So it's really a balancing act there. And I think ultimately this was the right choice for this game to tell this story and not have it be bogged down by unnecessary details. Um, there's just something that like, there's something I like about having that backstory there. Right. I mean, it says a lot though. What do you think about like this game's main plot is derived from backstory from the first game? <laughs> Like, the first game, this game's main plot only exists because you picked up collectibles in the first game that talked about it. You know what I mean? Which is kind of wild. And I think it just says a lot about the quality of that first game storytelling. <laughs> that they kind of dropped the ball on some of that stuff. Yeah, it takes place after one, but you're right. It does focus a lot on, like, older... Um stuff that happened in the past even before the first game's plot um, which to be fair affected him the first game does have an end scene that totally is like this is what you know this is setting it up that is more direct in that dlc uh specifically um but yeah for the most part it is like contingent on optional things from the first game which is interesting well uh do you want to get into spoilers uh yeah i'm ready for that all right, we're going to get into spoilers. Like I said, I think we both recommend this game at the very least. Um, I think it's incredible. I think if you like these kind of survival horror games, you should definitely give it a shot. It's a weird one because I would say to at least try the first game before jumping into there because th there are things in this game that are enhanced by playing that first game, <laughs> I would say, without giving too much away. It's unfortunate that that first game is that first game, you know? But yeah, I, I would definitely, at the very least play this game if you can yeah i think and the first game's not all bad i mean we did a no. review of it um up on the feed already but uh it's it's passable but i understand that if you can't get through it for whatever reason uh just know that this one does a lot better job at per, at most everything <laughs> yeah all right we're gonna get into spoilers What was your favorite monster? Oh, favorite monster? Yeah. Um, it's not even one What's that you here? fight. It's, I mean, the two my two favorite monsters are ones that you don't fight. They are the uh, giant eyeball in the sky uh, that you have sure. a stealth sequence against, and the uh, first goo monster that you have a stealth sequence against. <laughs> oh, Myra. But, like, the really big, drippy one. Right. Yeah, Myra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not the, yeah. Not the final boss, but the first time you encounter it and it is in this uh, the marrow. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love the camera head <laughs> boss 
if it, yep. if it is like that classic Silent Hill Resident Evil design of like take object, put it on head I mean, mentality. But the first game great. did that too with uh, both the safe head and the searchlight head in the DLC. Yeah, uh, but the camera head's cool, I, and I actually like it better than both those. Yeah, I really like when it takes a picture, it uh, freezes that area of the arena, so you have to be careful with that. Um, yeah. Super cool fight. I, I love the um, the like pile of corpses enemy with the buzzsaw that you, you'll fight several times. Yeah, one of the mini bosses. Like, that thing is fucked up. <laughs> I don't like looking at it. Um, in terms of our main villain, I love Stefano. He's such a good villain-ass villain. Yeah, where he's just insane and yes, he's just sadistic bastard that you just want to fight him. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think he does a good job of like, you know, he's a mustache twirling like that kind of villain, but like, I don't know, I kind of, I kind of love that about him. Um, also, that boss fight is really good. Yeah, I, I mean, all of the boss fights in this game they feel a lot less unfair than the first game, um, and they're oh yeah, pretty engaging. Like <laughs> I enjoyed all of them. Yeah, much easier uh, this time around. I mean, other than I think the fight against Liam was the only one where I'm like, okay, this is at, at some point it just becomes a bullet sponge where you're like, okay, how much ammo do I have? How much can I put into this guy? Um, there is some environmental stuff that has you running around and looking at stuff, but uh, at one point it just becomes shoot him until he dies. Yeah, I think it's kind of necessary to because they put those flamethrower guys in the you know that next open world segment um so i think they're just trying to teach you that like this shit's not a joke i mean at that point you could almost just call him a mini boss but what did you think of our side characters um our characters like our stars team i guess (laughs) this the mobius operatives yeah um i um there's some that i cared about and then some that i super didn't um one that I just I probably could have cared about if I actually uh, did the side quest on time was Sykes. Yeah, he is an option like he has a side quest to save him and then he has a side quest to go restore the servers. Um, if you don't do either of those, then he ends up dead and you don't really get to spend much time with him. Um, I did the first one and saved him off the bus but then didn't go restore the servers in time, so he shows up as a corpse later. Oh, bummer. Yeah, that side quest is is interesting. Um, I think you get a shotgun for doing it, but, like, the story thing is, like, he gets, you know, he transports himself out of there, supposedly, but it's, like, a 25% chance it actually works, so it just kind of leaves you going, did that work? (laughs) We don't know. But, yeah, it it does take you to a unique part of the marrow um, to do that. Yeah, my mistake was thinking that I would go back to the barrow at some point, and I'm like, oh, I'll just do it when I'm was when i there. And then by the time you get there, it's too late. It's like, oh, darn. You have to backtrack for it. Yeah, this game does kind of push you forward, and if you don't get everything done you want to go get done, you'll you'll miss out. So just a heads up on that. You know, I enjoyed Liam. He's a coward, which, I don't know, it was it was kind of an interesting character dynamic there. I, I really like that first scene with him when you go to the safe house. Oh, and he does. He didn't turn the safety off. Yeah, classic action movie shit right there, right? But but yeah, I, I enjoyed his character. Hoffman, I, I enjoyed as well. But like, neither of them are as good as like Torres from later on in the game. Like, I love that character. I think she's great. 
yeah, I think Torres and Hoffman are probably my two favorite side characters. What did you think of the marrow? The marrow is such a cool concept because basically the entire world is you go back into a new stem that Mobius has since the last one got destroyed or whatever. But this one's modeled after a town called Union or a made up town called Union, where it's just like a standard American town. But yeah, the marrow is this like secret dimensional tunnel that runs through everything that the Mobius agents can use to monitor things like it's such a cool concept and like of course they would do this and i like how it looks like maintenance tunnels and everything like yeah it's a super cool area of course these like unimaginative like agents would be like it's a maintenance area <laughs> like i love it it's very control it's kind of that vibe i think there is some there's one of the like glitching remnants that you can find and watch where one of the union citizens comes down there and then they have to like kill him because he saw what was happening down there. So it's, it looks like a maintenance tunnel. So like if they glanced at it, they're like, Oh yeah, sure. But if they actually got in there, then it would give away too much secrets. I love how you get in there though. It's like through these computers, through these like old ass, like early two thousands looking computers a lot of the time. Yeah, and then it has a loading screen that actually, like, renders in an area. Super cool. Yeah. I Like, that and the coffee makers to re restore your health. Like, both those two things add so much more personality than the first game ever had. <laughs> I love that stuff so much. That's yeah, what I mean so by the good. cozy stuff. Like, I love going back to the safe house, getting a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, hanging out upgraded. with my weird mental nurse to inject green oh gel God. into my brain. <laughs> I love her so much. I love that revelation, too, that he's like, oh, you're just part of me. Like, that's why you're here. You're just in my like, brain. Yeah, you're this is something I did, which is which is fun. Um, yeah, we don't really get a whole lot of backstory on her, though. You do in the first game, like there's like a missing poster you get with her. I can't remember what the deal is. Um, I got the vibe. Yeah. Maybe she's somebody that like Sebastian was looking for, you know, as a cop or something. Well, but it said she went missing at, or she was a nurse at Beacon. I remember that from the first game. Right. But then why is she in his brain? And then there's a line in this game where she says that there's like not many of them left and like that their world is dying, but it's never really elaborated what she means by that. See, I took everything she said, almost everything she said is something Sebastian is projecting and thinking in his own mind. And maybe I'm giving you a little too much credit. But, like, there's a light early, uh, late in the game when they're talking about Myra. And she's like, oh, it's a it's a maternal instinct thing. And I'm like, that's a weird light. And I think, to me, I'm like, is this just Sebastian trying to rationalize this? And maybe I'm giving the writing too much credit, but I, I kind of love that idea. That, like, that's all just him. It's coming from him. Yeah, he's just talking to himself in his brain, basically. Yeah, pretty much. I love how annoyed she is <laughs> when you talk to her too many times. She's like, I'm trying to get my nails done. <laughs> i'm i'm busy yeah that character is really fun did you spend much time with the shooting range oh i spent a lot of time in the shooting range i did too the shooting range is really fun in this game i love the missions where it's like a shooting gallery and you're fighting enemies from the first game uh even yeah. like a cardboard cutout of ruvik um yeah it's super cool the backgrounds are all pulled from the first game as well um that was the only thing i missed out on the last reward for the expert difficulty but i did everything else in that place 
Yeah. There's like a like a Tetris style puzzle one where you're shooting different colored panels. And like if they're, you know, if there's a bunch of red panels touching, they'll all blow up at once you get a multiplayer. I got obsessed with that thing. Oh, yeah. I played that one many times in a row. So much fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shout out to shout out to the to the um, sort of the I forget what they're called, but the mental space this time around instead of it being sort of that area in Beacon. Now it's Sebastian's office. And again, what a vibe. <laughs> like, you know, you can go to his actual office and you can like view Intel. Um, if you there's like this game has a bunch of weird Bethesda related collectibles, which he'll set on a desk you can go look at. So like you can find a little Doom Marine and like um, you know, the the guy from Fallout and the little Wolfenstein dog tank I think is in there. Um, uh, the only two I like found that. were the the Vault Boy and then there's the ring logo for elder scrolls online those are the two i found oh yeah there's a bunch is there really what there's a one of the last ones you can get is the um the keeper from the first game but it's like a cute like chibi version of it oh my goodness those are great yeah you can find the mug from prey oh yes i love it because that came out the same year bunch of little references which is which is always fun um you can change your outfit too if you want. I I stuck with the default, um, but you can like put on the outfit from the first game if you want. And I think it gives him a lantern too. Oh, that's fun. A, a lot of those are unlocked after you beat the game. Mm, maybe that explains it. Um, because I had those from the beginning, but I wasn't sure why. Yeah, I unlocked a lot of them after I beat the game. That area is also where you can view the slide projectors, which is a collectible, a new collectible in this game. And there are little slides Sebastian will find, and he'll go view them on the projector. And a lot of them will talk about events in his past, um, and he'll call Kidman, and they'll have a conversation about it. Um, you did not find all these, right? Yeah, I think I missed two of them. The second one and the last one. So a word of warning, this game does have a, an annoying glitch, where the last slide you get is not one you find in the open world. You get it after you, you've viewed all the other slides. Oh, okay. And the cat, the cat, it's uh, Kidman's cat from the DLC is here. Um, and the cat gives you green gel every time you view one of these slides. Um, but the last one, it will it will lead you to the upgrade area. And on the chair, you'll find the last slide. Importantly, this can happen where if you view a slide, I think it can happen if you view more than one at once. The cat won't give you a gel for one of the slides. And getting that gel is what tr- triggers the the last one to be unlocked. Oh, so you could just be stuck with flat all but one. Yeah. Luckily, if you just start a new game plus save, all the slide you'll have all the slides unlocked and you can just play them again. Okay. Um, so it's pretty easy to solve, but that can happen. Uh, which is important to view because the last slide is... Um, fun because it is that classic resident evil dumb shit that i love you know i talked about how like the ending of the dlc last time red had myra in it <laughs> being a part of mobius which you know comes to fruition in this game the last slide is joseph from the first game glasses man and the characters are all like yeah and you've reflected on everybody else but you haven't talked about him and he's like you're right, I haven't, and it's, it's, he's kind of, you know, emotional about it, and he feels bad about it, which is, actually gives that character more dimension than he ever had in the first game. Um, but then Kidman goes, stop beating yourself up about that, because he's alive. Oh, okay. He's alive. 
He was definitely a zombie in the first game, so... She says he's alive. Okay. It's just... I just love that dumb cliffhanger garbage. <laughs> like, it, it just makes me happy. He was definitely an evil zombie in the first game, so <laughs> that's good to hear. I guess he found his glasses and feels normal again. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's it's really dumb, but I, I, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it a little dumb in my survival horror, if I'm honest. We were talking about Union and sort of the world building around there. Did you like find a bunch of those collectibles like in terms of story and lore there? Yeah, I did. That was um some of the some of it was pretty interesting. I don't know if I got to like some of the more darker stuff, but having Theodore be this like Scientology guy that uh brings them all into Union, I thought was an interesting way to do that. It gives it a little bit more stakes to all of the like zombies you fight are actually people or what's left of people. Um, like maybe it's just their mental remnants, but yeah, I mean, that was kind of messed up the, what else is in there that you remember? Well, So there's several ways in which Mobius is bringing in people for this. Um, and right. We, we know they're like an evil corporation, you know, umbrella style and they want to put everybody in here so they can control them basically. But one of the things that you find is like talking about, I think it, there's a there's an optional character you can find in one of the houses, and then there's just some optional things you can read. But like one of the methods they do is they have people sign up for a sleep study, and they basically kidnap them and throw them in STEM. It's just a bunch of stuff like that. You can find stuff like about like explaining why they have like a city hall and a form of voting and government, and it's like just like just so people feel normal, <laughs> and so they you know understand the system. It's it's just a bunch of like cool world building stuff like that where you kind of get the mechanics of why and how all this works. What was up with the one scene of the lady force feeding the kid? Oh my God. It yeah, stands the beginning out. of this game. Yeah. It's so, it honestly feels a little out of place. <laughs> so yeah, I have a theory about this. Um, Cause you're right. This game isn't overly violent. Like we talked about the first game and how like gruesome that thing is. Like, this game kind of dials that back for the most part. Except for the beginning. There's two instances. Um, there's the instance right away where you're running into the burning house, which is a fantastic way to start the game. And again, like, from moment one, you're like, oh, man, the presentation, what a step up. Uh, but there's, like, your daughter, you know, grabbing you and then being set on fire and setting you on fire. And, like, their skin melting. And it's like, that's fucking gross. Um, and then there's... Yes, the zombie lady, the first zombie you run into, force-feeding a dead child. No, what's fucked up is he's not. He dies in that scene. Like, it's so fucked up. Yeah, so that scene, you could intercut that with some of the stuff from Resident Evil 7. Yeah. And it wouldn't look out of place. So my theory is that, like, Resident Evil 7 came out in January and was critically acclaimed and very lauded for kind of bringing Resident Evil back, right? And Resident Evil 7 did a lot of that really gross style of horror where it's like gross out and disgusting, um, including a scene with the the family that's hunting you down where they're eating rotting stuff and it's horrible and there's a force-feeding scene in that too. And it, my theory is like, maybe they just went, let's just let's try to make this a little more like Resident Evil 7. They also added a first person mode that you can play the whole game in which i believe after launch they did that so like i i kind of feel like maybe some of that was just a little like 
well, this is popular in Resident Evil 7, so let's try to capture some of that, I guess. Because you're right, it is weirdly out of place. Yeah, that theory definitely makes some sense. Uh, what do you think of the secondary villain, the this Father Theodore? I think Father Theodore is great. I think this game suffers a little bit from, not not quite as bad, but from the same thing Far Cry 3 did. Where, like, Far Cry 3's villain was awesome. The first villain. Um, is that Voss? Voss, yeah. And, like, super menacing and, and terrifying and honestly kind of <laughs> maybe ruined the rest of that franchise because they've been chasing that high ever since. But whatever. <laughs> different. That's a different podcast. But, like, halfway through that game, you kill him, and then you have to, you know, his boss is is the next villain, and his boss is just not as compelling. <laughs> and it, it kind of marks a weird, like, downturn in that game. And I don't think it's that extreme here, but I think Stefano is just so much more, like, so much more of an interesting antagonist than Theodore to me. Like, where Theodore himself, like, I like the religious imagery and all that stuff, but, like, I just don't think it's as cool as the, like, the failed artist stuff that Stefano is. Yeah, Stefano really reminded me of the villain, that one side villain in Bioshock. Oh, yeah. In Bioshock totally. 2 specifically, I think, is where he's from. No, it's Bioshock 1, the one who mutilates people. The... No, the in Bioshock 2, there's the artist that like freeze, freezes people. Oh, freezes people. So um, Bioshock 1 is the plastic surgeon. <laughs> Yeah, that one's fucked up too. Whereas uh, Father Theodore comes off more as like a Bioshock Infinite villain, which I, yeah, you're right. I don't find quite as compelling. It's just, yeah, it's like, and, and you know, I don't know how they could do it because Father Theodore is clearly, you know, like Stefano couldn't be the leader there. Just near oh, God, no, that He's too work. unhinged. Yeah, so I get it. It's just a little weird. Um, and again, I, I like Father Theodore. It's not like as if I think it, it's a downturn in quality. I just, I think it's a weird, I don't know, it's a weird thing. But honestly, I feel like Father Theodore in the plot serves less as a as an antagonist in like the same way Stefano is and more as just it, it he more serves as a catalyst to put the conflict in um, Sebastian's mind. Like the real uh, the real villain of part two, essentially, is Sebastian's past memories and Father Theodore is more just a catalyst to bring that forward. Yes, totally. And that's the thing I was I was driving at is like I don't I, you know Father Theodore I think is cool, but I don't think it's like as good as Stefano, but like the things he does and what that means for specifically his boss sequence, I guess you'd call it, are some of the best parts of the game. <laughs> so like you, you get that um that dichotomy there. Uh Let's talk about that moment in particular. That boss uh, because sequence. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, I love that sequence. I cannot believe how much reverence this game has for the first game. And I think that's why this works. Because you could tell they really cared about this moment where you get put back in Beacon and you're fighting the old bosses again, but they have this epic-ass music in the background and it's just the coolest shit ever. <laughs> and I'm like, how did you make this spider boss, the spider lady boss, who I hated in the last game, like the coolest shit ever? See, I liked her in the first game, but it's even better here. It's so good. It's so good. Like, it's so hype. It's one of those moments where you just have to sit back and go, damn, you really pulled that off. Like, that was amazing. 
I needed to break just because I was so excited. <laughs> like, it's a really cool moment. Um, and also to that end, all the side quest stuff with the, the ghost lady where it puts you back in Beacon as well is also really cool. Like, this game's, like, references to the first game really, really stands out. And that's why I think people should at least try to play the first game. Because it, it really cares about that game in a way that is kind of shocking. For a game that kind of sheds a lot of that first game, right? Like, they recast the actors. I mean, Sebastian just looks different in this game. <laughs> like, they kind of did a lot of work to distance themselves from it in a lot of ways. That, like, I'm a little surprised that they really went hard on, no, this shit was cool. <laughs> Yeah, here's here's the stuff that didn't work, and here's the stuff that really worked. Like a dude with a safer head who can decapitate himself. Like, let's bring that back. Let's bring back Spider Lady. Um, you fight two of them at once. You, you fight two of them. Uh, the two Great. keepers, yeah. Because like it is the thing about that game. While I was playing, I was like, man, it's kind of wild. Like the keepers were such an iconic thing that they, you know, that there's a bunch of restraint here, but they're just not here, which you know makes sense story wise. But yeah, th that moment I think it's worth it, um, even though it brings the back. It's it's cool, and it, you know it justifies it narratively because it's using Sebastian's fear, and that was pretty freaking scary. <laughs> Obvious PTSD, right? Which we get in the beginning of this game too, when he's drunk at the bar, um, which I also love, by the way. Like I legitimately, it's 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 cheesy, but I love that moment when he's at the bar and the kidman shows up and he just fucking immediately points the gun at her. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah especially so fucking good. around. It's also cheesy because then he looks at the bar and there's two like literal men in black there. It's like, you guys it's, are out It's of dark. <laughs> it's completely dark and they're wearing sunglasses. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, love it. Love every second of it. Yeah, this game's like, like from that moment on, from that theater fight on, the about the scale of it is so increased and like i don't know i don't know like how you felt about it but i can't help but get like swept up in it or i'm like this is just cool like everything that happens is just cool because after that you get the fight with myra um as the monster yeah guvik yeah um by the way one of the best moments in this game is when you first see her like as her human form and she looks like ruvik she shows up with the hood and everything yeah it's great yeah and you're like that's that's just cool visually but yeah like that boss fight with her and then that that like last chapter where they're cutting between you running through the house and kidman just blasting up the the mobius base <laughs> is so cool yeah well and you can kind of tell that they made the kidman stuff just so that they could have some like more gameplay <laughs> in the last chapter because they didn't really need to make you play as Kidman for that little bit. They didn't but they need did. to, but I'm so glad they did. I am too, but like, they could have just had that be a cutscene and then have you just run, but then that chapter would have been more boring. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. It You totally get swept up in it, where like, even when you're just running toward, like running on the ground, no real threat other than perceived threat of stuff falling, that moment just really lands specifically because of the story you know there's some cool cuts where like sebastian will you know, slam through a door in the house looking for his daughter and then we'll cut immediately to kidman you know it's just like it, it just has this like impactful like everything that is happening there is cool and kind of intense and you're, you're just in it and um you know it, it's kind of hard to achieve that and i think they they nailed it and you know what? i'll say like yeah i think they could have done better but like I still felt a little emotional when he found his daughter. 
I, I think they even, they kind of got that right. Even though, like, she's not super involved in the story. Like, I don't know, it, it, it worked for me. Yeah, I think it's mainly because we see how much it means to Sebastian. Like, yeah, you don't see the daughter all that much, but you see what her loss has done to him, both through the notes in the first game and in this game, and then also the flashbacks of seeing seeing his daughter, and then also what losing his daughter meant for Myra and how he lost Myra. Like, all of that just sort of compounds. So when he finally does get reunited with her, uh, it's really special. Yeah, and yeah, and Myra shows up there too. And like, I don't know, for a genre that is typically reliant on cheesiness and courtiness, especially Japanese horror games, and I don't, I don't want to paint with a super broad brush. I know Silent Hill exists and all that stuff. But, you know, if you're thinking Resident Evil um, and, and things like that, um, I, I am shocked at how impactful that stuff is and how well it works. I gotta really applaud Tango for that. Like it, it works super well, and is is really masterfully done. It, it even that scene, like to go back to the Theodore stuff, where you get that Sebastian has conquered that, and it's represented through, you know, Theodore, like basically giving him an illusion of his daughter, right? Where he kind of sets her aside, and she's and he's like, he he has that moment where he's like, it wasn't my fault. I have to forgive myself for this before I can help you. And it's, it's super good. <laughs> like, it's actually really good. Yeah, because when that moment showed up, I thought it was going to be like, oh, he was going to finally snap out of it not being real. And he's going to, like, just brush the kid aside or, like, walk through it or something. No, he, like, accepts that this Ill illusion daughter and, you know, changes the illusion to be something more positive because it's based off of his mind and his mind has come to terms with it. So he's you know, he still embraces the illusion and then moves on. Like it's, it's a very, very well put together just plot. Like the moments really work for all of that. Yeah. And you know, maybe, maybe part of this, my, my love for all this stuff is like, I love Resident Evil 4. This is a series. These games were based off Resident Evil 4, right? <laughs> like the evil with it is, was meant to be a spiritual successor to that. What are the cheesiest games of all time? Like, just straight up. And so for this to have moments where it was actually hitting me emotionally, I was like, I, I can't believe you you went this far with this thing that was really never going to be that, at least initially. And I, that's that's the thing that I think is like caught me off guard the first time I played it. But even the second time held up for me, where I, I think it all works so well. Yeah, and I mean, this is all on top of a game that fundamentally is just mechanically better than the original like there's less instant kill obstacles. There's less unfair enemies. Like everything about it just comes together to be better than the original while still like respecting it. Yeah. 100%. I will say the only thing I missed from that original game, I, I missed the match mechanic. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think so too, but I do really love just stomping enemies in the head. Yeah. It's a good stomp. <laughs> When he knocked out an enemy. Which, you know, I guess it makes sense because he's done this before. So you kind of get that build-up in terms of power. Were we missing anything? Is there anything else? Mm, the pit? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the pit. The pit's just a, uh, you know, it's just a cool moment where you kind of... It's the f it's the first time you confront Theodore, I think. Um, or is it the second time? I think it's the second time. I think it's the start second of the time. second time. And... 
you know, he's kind of taking advantage of your, of Sebastian's anxieties. And um, he kind of sends you down. He basically throws you into like a hell of his own making where it's just kind of like infinite void of like what I assume is blood that you're walking through. Like, like a, just a massive puddle of blood, basically. You're kind of walking through his town and, um, you know, you get to like his house, but it's all, it's, you know, it's in pieces. It's a, it's a mess. And I, it, that, that stuff really worked for me. Um, you know, and I think it's just one of those moments where it's visually very interesting. Like a lot of this game, I think a, a lot of the places it takes you are visually distinct. And like this one, it, it just stood out to me. Yeah, it's so visually distinct that even when I was backtracking through the first parts of the game, um, like I forgot that there was a map. There's no mini map and these are pretty open levels, but, um, you know, you have like this uh, uh, communicator that can pick up stray signals, um, which does a good job leading you where you need to be. But then also just areas are memorable and you can kind of navigate your way through levels after a while and there is a map and you can set waypoints, but I never really felt the need to. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that speaks to how well those, those areas are designed. And again, it's just like, these are open areas, but they're not overwhelming. They're, they're very small ultimately, but I, I, I like that choice a lot. Um, before we go here, did you have a favorite weapon? Cause the arsenal is quite a bit bigger in this game. Yeah. I mean, I think I still just ended up using the pistol for most of it. Um, I found the optional revolver, which I don't think changes anything. I think it's just cosmetic. I think it is slightly more powerful. They don't Maybe, give you stats, which is annoying. It might be slightly more powerful, but it uses the same upgrade tree and everything, which makes me think it's just the same gun with a different skin. Uh, it's not something like the... Um, Oh, there's another weapon that you can do that with. Yeah, I mean, some of the guns, though, like, they you upgrade them in categories, so, like, the pistols and the shotguns and the sniper rifle, like, they all have their own categories to upgrade instead of the individual weapon. And, like, so the reason why I say I, I do believe it's more powerful, because, like, you there are, I think there are four pistols in the game. There's the one you start off with. There's a laser, there's a laser one, which is the one I used most, which takes away your normal reticle and gives you a laser pointer. Um, so it really feels like Resident Evil at that point. And then there's a silenced pistol you can get. And the silenced pistol is definitively weaker, so I never used it. But it's silenced, so you could sneak. Yeah, but, like, I never... Like, it doesn't, like, get a headshot one, so you just shoot a guy and it'll turn around and see you. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's like, why am I... What's the point of this? So I, I never really bothered with it. I guess it could peel off enemies from a group, but, like, I, I don't know. And, you know, the shotguns you get are different because, like, you can get a double-barreled shotgun and pump action and stuff like that. Uh, because of this game's open design, I really ended up enjoying the sniper rifle, um, which I, I liked in the first game a lot, too, actually. But in the first game, it has the purpose of, like, that very Resident Evil thing where it's a sniper rifle, but you almost never use it for sniping. <laughs> it's very much a close-range weapon. It's a... I'm three. I'm a little bit out of shotgun range, so now I'll use the sniper rifle. It's uh This is really good for putting on damage to bosses' weapon. <laughs> um, yeah, pretty much. Uh, but yeah, because of the more open-ended design, you can actually use it more as 
it would be intended to, which was nice. Uh, we gotta talk about Torres, because I love Torres. <laughs> She's probably the coolest character in this game. I don't know. Like, just in terms of, like, like she gets a cool, like, scene where she's dying and but fighting at the same time. And you're like, that's rad, Torres. You're cool. Um, yeah, it really reminded me of the, the ending scene of Halo Reach. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I love that they throw her into the backstory, too. It's, it's you know, classic, stupid, survival horror stuff, but, like, she was the one who kidnapped Lily originally. Lily, your daughter. I don't know if we said that yet. Yeah, the daughter. And that she's she's helping, she's part of this whole thing because she, she feels bad about that. And, you know, I think that characterization comes through in a nice way. Also, getting her machine gun is nice. Yeah, the assault rifle. Yeah. Um, also, that moment when you wake up with her and, you know, you meet her, that, like, weird, like, standoff in the house is pretty yeah, fun. Yeah, plays a little bit like a Call of Duty Zombies mode for a little bit. Actually reminds me of that that scene with david from the first last of us oh yep 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 um but that, that's cool and that's also the first area where you find the fire zombies who are fucked up yeah because they can counter your stealth kills yeah they're basically like they basically up the difficulty for stealth which is i mean it's cool gameplay wise um because they they just will at, at a specific interval will light on fire for a couple seconds and you can't stealth kill them while they're doing that, so you kind of have to plan out how you're going to stealth around, if you're even going to bother, because it is much more of a pain in the ass at that point. I found it a lot more rewarding, though. Yeah, it is. And I like that from a gameplay perspective. talk about i this is an interesting story that broke a couple weeks ago so it's it's pertinent to talk about um obviously tango gameworks their their next game is tokyo ghostwire which is a weird first person shooter <laughs> uh, that looks awesome yeah ghostwire tokyo i'm i didn't know that was them actually but that's exciting oh you didn't mm-hmm. oh yeah 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 that's that's uh that's tango so definitely curious about that one but there was a there was a news story here that I pulled from IGN. Um, they were talking to Bakami, um, and he mentioned that um, the director of this game is already working on their next title. So I thought we'd take a moment. Do you think that's Evil Within Three? Um, I I don't know. That could be. Um, but I mean, it it all comes down to like what it's. Like, what would you do with an Evil Within 3, honestly? I'm glad you asked. Because if it was me... Because this game does wrap up quite nicely. You know, and, and that is that is a nice thing. They do leave it off with a bit of a cliffhanger where the like computers turn back on. And we know Joseph's alive. Yeah, Joseph's alive. I would make it about Kidman. And I would make it about her cleaning up the rest of Mobius. Yeah, I think Sebastian's probably done. Like, he, he yes. doesn't want to be dragged into anything else anymore. He just wants to live with his daughter at this point. Yes. So I would make this story Kidman, and it's about her. You know, because presumably that wasn't all of Mobius, right? They're an umbrella-style evil corporation. They're everywhere. 
like, I, you know, I assume there's more of them. There's some reason for her to go back into Mobius, right? To or to stem or you know some concocted reason for that to happen. You know, I th- I think they could figure that out. Um, it could be is so cool in this game that I just want more of her. Um, and I think that could work. So I, I have a theory, about Ghostwire Tokyo. Okay. I, I think Ghostwire Tokyo takes place in STEM, and I think it oh, is secretly a spinoff. Interesting. So I think that's how you you would set up antagonists for a potential evil in three is through that game. You know, it's set up that like yes, Mobius is still around. That game obviously by the title takes place in Tokyo, so you know maybe. Maybe in America they're in shambles because of all this, but they're they're still kicking around the world, right? So like, I think that that's the route you could go there um, with the with the third game in the series. You know, maybe it's Kidman. Maybe she meets up with the protagonist from Ghostwire or whatever, um, and there's some involvement there or something. Yeah, I, I think that there's potential for that. But you know, I'm not gonna get my hopes up because Evil Within Two sold incredibly poorly, <laughs> at least at launch. I don't know if it ever got up there. But like it, it didn't do well, so I'm I'm a little skeptical of that. But well, that it being didn't said, do well financially, but it did it review super well. I think it's like 80ish Metacritic. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, um, and you know it is. They are. This is a Microsoft-owned franchise now. Oh yeah, and Microsoft can throw money at whatever just random small projects or weird stuff they want. Right, and because they want you know, cool big Game Pass games, right? Like, even if The Evil Within didn't do well originally, it has a cult following and they can go, hey, we're making a new one and the first two are on Game Pass. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm reaching for that, but I I sincerely hope that they do do that, which would be very exciting for me. Yeah, I mean, if they continue to improve or continue with this game as a base, then it could be something pretty stellar. Yeah, totally. Um, and if you haven't checked out Ghostwire Tokyo, at least the trailers they've released so far, go do that because it's very strange for them. It is. It looks like a fast-paced first-person shooter, but like with magic, like Ghost Runner, but you're casting uh, demon-killing spells. Yeah, with your hands, it's it's very interesting. It's got a lot of horror designs and a lot of stuff really that cool. seems to be based off of like Japanese mythology. It looks awesome. Um, so definitely curious about that one. As far as recommended viewing here, I just put in like the reveal trailer from the E3 because it's just kind of cool. Um, For Evil Within, know. yeah, it's just um, it's a CG trailer, but it's kind of a nice piece. It plays that song from the end of the game, so it's it's just a neat little trailer. Um, if you'd like to keep up with us, you can find the podcast at Safe Station Pod on Twitter. Where can the people find you, Cotter? You can find me at Conifer SSR. Uh, where can they find you, Dustin? You can find me at Dustin H. Dragon on Twitter. Yep, keep an eye on the feed. We've been a little inconsistent with the main episodes, but you know we do the reports in between them to fill in those gaps. So we, we try to give you podcasts, you know, at least every two weeks, if not more. So keep an eye on that stuff, and we'll, we'll keep you updated. And please remember to always be good to each other. Bye.
Try.